serious word from the Savior. A serious word from the Savior. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Amen. We know that God will bless his word to our hearts. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the word of God, for the enlightenment that we gain through the scriptures. And as we would ponder your word now, Father, I pray for the the help of God, for the power of the Holy Ghost. May the words of my mouth, may the contemplations of my soul and heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. We're now at the end of a Lord's Day. We're at the end of a Sabbath. We're at church worshipping him. Uh, Or if you're not able to get to church, you're uh, joining us through the, the live stream. It is a good and a beneficial way to spend the Lord's Day. In fact, it is the only way to spend the Lord's Day in the worship of our blessed Savior. Well, here in John chapter 5, we have an example of a Sabbath day. And of course, this was before the resurrection of Christ. So this was the Lord's Day, Old Testament style. This was the day we call Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And on this particular Sabbath day, on this particular Lord's Day, Jesus Christ was engaged in activity. This was what he was doing. Now, we have to assume that he had been to the synagogue earlier, and there he had been engaged in perhaps reading the word. We read of the Lord actually reading the word publicly or or listening to the word being read. But he had left the synagogue, and the Jews that had been worshipping had had left the synagogue that particular morning in Jerusalem. And there are a lot of Jews in Jerusalem because this was one of the special feasts, we are told, in chapter 5, verse 1. And many people, it seems, they went to the place where the sheep market took place. Now, this place where the sheep market was conducted Well, there was no sheep being sold this day because it was the Sabbath. The Jews wouldn't have done any buying or selling on the Sabbath. But it was a place noted for its beauty because there was a pool here and there were five porches. And the five porches must have been quite significant, so it would tell me something that the architecture of this place... Bethesda, as it was known, was very fine and very grand. And it would have been a place where people would have gone to, spent time walking along. There was no work going on today. People had more leisure. And so there were people around this sheep market. And the Lord was by the pool as well. But not only were there people walking around at their leisure at Bethesda, but there was a truly awful sight, a sight that certainly to our 21st century eyes would have 
broken our hearts in two, but it brought tears from a stone. Because the verse 3 tells us that there was a great multitude here, and that word great multitude, it must indicate there was quite a number of people, large number of people, weak people, impotent people as they were known, people not able to walk, people who were taken to that pool in the morning by their friends, left down. Then they were gathered up in the evening time. Blind people that were led there, and they were given a position where they could sit and wait. People with withered hands. But they weren't just there to beg. They were there to wait for the moving of the water. Now, Bishop J.C. Ryle said that this is a most unusual passage of Scripture. He actually said there's no passage in all of the Bible quite like this passage. Because of this event that occurred from time to time, the moving of the water. And we're told in verse 4 that at certain seasons, and it would seem that nobody quite knew when the season would come about, an angel came down, troubled the water. The water moved. And the first person that stepped into the water after the water was troubled was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And so this is the reason why we have this great number of sick people, invalid people, blind people, people with these serious problems. And they're just all waiting, waiting, waiting for the troubling of the water. And one must imagine the blind person. They would need somebody to tell them the water's moving. Need somebody to lead them. To the water. How would they get quickly? The person lying there in a bed, they would need people to gather them up and bring them. And so for many of these people, it was a, a kind of a, a wasted hope. They were just hoping and hoping and hoping. And most of them would never make it. They'd never be cured, but they just loved for that day they could be cured. The blind waited for that day they could see. The deaf waited for that moment they could hear. The person that was lying upon the bed waited for that moment when he was able to walk. And so this was how these people were spending this Sabbath. There was no leisure involved. It was all earnest business, waiting for the troubling of the water. And it poses many questions. What was going on here? How did this happen? Why did the Lord allow this to happen? Why did he send the angel down? Why was this pool selected for such a special visitation? Matthew Pill, the Bible commentator, he said that this was a, a sign of God's grace to a people that were without a prophet. For 400 years, there was no prophet. Since the days of Malachi, God had not spoken. 400 years of darkness, spiritual darkness, God had not spoken. And it was a sign of God's grace, his forbearance with Israel. That he gave them this pill as little sign, better days are coming. And the one who didn't only represent the better days are coming, the one who brought the better days was here, walking amongst these sick people, looking at them with a compassion that no one else could have. And here he was. But yet, he selected one man. And why he would select that one man, 
I do not know and I cannot tell. Why did he pick out one man for healing? Why did he choose to do a work in the life of one man on this day and not on the others? I can't give you an answer for that, but the Bible focuses our attention where the Lord focused his attention upon this one man. And we're given a little detail about him. He had this infirmity 38 years. He lay there on a bed for 38 years. Did that mean he was 38 years of age? He had never walked. Did that mean he had an accident, perhaps in childhood or in adolescence? He was somewhat older. We're not given the answer to that, but the 38 years is enough to tell us that his situation was very, very difficult. Had been. Verse 6, the Lord saw him. The Lord looked at him. The eyes of the Lord, filled with compassion, saw him. The Lord knew that he had been now a long time in that case. What the Lord knows. You know, the Lord sees us here in this place tonight. He sees us where we're at. And the Lord knows. And he knows what nobody else knows. And you may be in church tonight and you're bringing some burden that's there in your heart that's pressing you down. The Lord knows. He sees you with a compassion nobody else could have. Because he knows what other people do not know. What you only know yourself. The Lord saw him. The Lord knew him. The Lord asked him the question, Will thou be made whole? And then you have this response. Look, I've got nobody. If the water is troubled, he said, somebody else will always get there before me. I, I have nobody. I have nobody to help me. I have nobody to assist me. I have nobody who can give me the, the care that I need at this time. I, I have nobody. I have nobody. Oh, what a, what a picture of the sinner. You're here tonight. You don't know the Lord as Savior. You don't know him in your life. You haven't got the Savior. You're without Christ and you're without hope. This man had no hope. And you have no hope. But it's not the, the trouble of the body. It's your problem. It's the trouble of the soul. You have no hope because you're a sinner before God. And there's no man that can help you. There's no man that can save you. There's nobody that can carry you into eternal life. There's no church that can rescue you. There's nothing you can do for yourself and there's nothing anyone else can do for you. There's only one man that can help you and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will help this man this day. And only Jesus Christ can help you. And oh, that you would understand what it is to be a sinner before God. Oh, that you would understand what it is to be a sinner without hope in this world. This man didn't know who Jesus was. After he was cured, he still didn't know. They asked him, who told you to take up your bed and walk? We're told in verse 13, he didn't know who it was. For Jesus conveyed himself away, gone away into the vastness of the multitude. And so this man was in so much ignorance in so many ways. And here was Jesus walking amongst the crowd. Look down at him. Will you be made whole? I've nobody to help me. Rise, take up your bed and walk. 
And suddenly that man felt strength coming to limbs. Muscles that had been wasted. Muscles that would take months and maybe longer to build up. Were suddenly strong. And he jumped to his feet and he gathered up his bed and away he went. Jesus helped him. Nobody else could. And tonight, Jesus Christ is here. And just as he was here by the pool Bethesda on that Sabbath evening, on that Sabbath day morning, so the Lord <coughs> is here this evening. Where God's people gather, he's there. He's here. He's passing between these pews. And he sees you. And he knows you're a sinner and he knows you've been rejecting him. And he knows you've been turning away from the gospel. And he sees right into your heart and he sees everything that nobody else can see. And he's looking down at you. He's asking you questions. He's asking you questions through the scriptures. He's challenging you through God's word. He's speaking to you through this book. It's still as relevant today as it ever was. Tomorrow's morning's news will carry lots of things. What's going on in the world? But this book carries the news of what's going on in your heart, that you're a sinner before God. And only Jesus Christ can save you. And so we have this man remarkably, wonderfully cured by the power of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, for this man, it was only the beginning of the story. Because the Jews, uh, they saw him walking with his bed under his arm on the Sabbath day, and they said, why are you walking? You've got your bed, you're walking, why? Why are you not lying there the way you've been for 38 years? You think they'd be happy for him? You think they'd be uh, wondering, how is this man cured? There's some great power at work. No. All they could think about was, their rules had been broken. Somebody had done a deed, had done a work on the Sabbath day. It was a work of healing. It was a life-changing work. And so they wanted to know, who was this? And so they started to interrogate the man. But the man didn't know who it was that healed him. And possibly, they didn't believe what the man was saying. And so... This man, for whom this was a very happy day, for whom this was a, a very wondrous day, this man was placed in a position of confusion. Fingers were being pointed at him. And in this place of rejection, of loneliness, we're told in verse 14, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple. Jesus came again. He went looking for him. And he found him again. He found him the first time when he was in this physical need. But he found him the second time. When he was, without, when he was perhaps within the cusp of being cast out of the temple, of being cast out of the Jewish religion, of being treated like a, an apostate. And that was what I think what's going on here. 
Jesus found them in a spiritual need. You know, the Lord knows every need that we have. Physical need, spiritual need. He knows it all. The Lord comes and he finds. Thank God for a Savior who finds us, who looks out for us, never takes his eye away from us, who cares for us. And when the Lord came to him this second time, the Lord gave him a very serious word, a very solemn word. He said in this verse 14, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And this is what I want to think about tonight. The Lord came to address this spiritual need. This was the word that he had. Remember how I said God speaks to us through the word? The Lord is not just speaking to this man. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Particularly if you know not Christ tonight, he's got a word for you. And he's saying to you, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Think about these words, please. And may the Lord plant them deep within your heart. The first thing I see about these words is the external change that had come about. The Lord said, Behold, thou art made whole. And the Lord here was not referring to his heart. The Lord was referring to his body. The Lord was referring to the limbs and to the muscles that now had gained strength, to the body that had been broken for 38 years. The Lord said, Behold, thou art made whole. And why was this man made whole? Because the Savior himself had touched him. And this blessing that he had, this blessing of being able to walk about something he hadn't enjoyed for so long, this blessing was his on this day because of the touch the master's hand and we do need to stop and we do need to reflect upon our material blessings upon our physical blessings upon the good things that have come from the hand of God we've had a meal today we've enjoyed that we've breathed clean air we have a heart that pumps the blood round the body we have lungs at work we have physical health. We're able to be in God's house tonight. Are you able to be at home? Are you able to watch, listen, read? What a blessing it is to be able to read. What a blessing it is to have a, a sound mind. To be able to take these things in, to be able to understand them. To be able to speak, to communicate, to hear, to listen. Perhaps there's some, and you can look back to times in your life when life was really hard. There was sickness and pain, suffering. But God has been good. And he brought about recovery. And all of that has come from the hand of God. There's a name for all of this. In theology, it's called common grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to Christians and they happen to people that aren't saved. People that are Christians enjoy good health. People that are unsaved enjoy good health. People that are Christians enjoy recovery from illness and the same happens to those that do not know the Lord. We have so many blessings, so many privileges in life. The very fact that we're living at all tonight, that's God's common grace. He's given us so many good and wonderful things. He's given us richly all things to enjoy. But yet, despite all of this, this man didn't know the Lord. 
didn't know the Lord. A body changed, revolutionized, healed, cured. He still didn't know the Lord. We have so many blessings. God has been good to us. Perhaps you're here tonight. God has blessed you over and over. Over the years, over the decades. And you still don't know the Lord. There was an external change, but there only was an external change. The Lord, by saying those words, Behold, thou art made holy, was reminding this man of his blessings, but he was reminding him of where the blessings stopped. He didn't know Jesus Christ. Could it be you sit in God's house tonight? You have a Bible. You hear God's word. That's a blessing. A blessing will not take you to heaven. The blessing stops there. It can't stop there. It mustn't stop there. If it stops there, you're lost. And that really is the thrust of this message. The serious word from the Savior. You see, the reason why God has given you all these blessings under common grace. He has given you a life to live, health to enjoy, soundness of mind. You might come to Christ. None of those blessings are wasted. If you say no to Jesus Christ, what a tragedy it is to waste your life saying no to the Savior. Let's move on and think about the spiritual demand. And so having said to this man, Behold, thou art made whole, the Savior proceeded to say, Sin no more. Sin no more. And now the Lord got to the heart of the matter. What was really wrong with this man? The problem that he had in the body, it was just a symbol of a deeper problem that existed in the heart. He was a sinner. He didn't know the Savior. Even the very fact that the Savior healed him, touched him, and the man still didn't know who Jesus was, that's a symbol of the fact that this man did not know Christ. And if he was to have this problem sorted, he had to repent and turn from his sin. Sin no more, Jesus Christ said. This was a command. It was a demand. It was a requirement. It was an order that came from the Savior who knows the heart like no one else knows the heart. And one of the commands of the gospel is to repent. There's two commands that come to the sinner through the gospel. One is to put your faith in Jesus Christ, trust him alone as your Savior. And the other command is to turn from your sin, to repent. You cannot have your sin and of Jesus Christ. If you think you can have your sin and of Jesus Christ, you're living as a fool. You have to have done with your sin. Your sin's destructive. Your sin's ruining you. Your sin's damning you. You must turn from that sin, hate that sin, resist that sin, say, I've done with that sin. No matter what pleasure it gives you, no matter how you might feel it, it gives you something in life. It gives you nothing. And so there needs to be that absolute turning away from your sin. You know, this man would discover something from this demand, and it is this. It would have been much better if he had still been lying on that bed by the pool Bethesda. No Christ is a saviour. 
and to be healed and cured, not to know Christ as a Savior. You know, our blessed Savior in the Gospel of Blessed Savior in the Gospel of Matthew, he 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 talked uh, about in Matthew chapter eighteen and the verse eight. He said this: Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And that certainly echoes the experience of this man. The Lord says, turn from your sin. Better to be lying in that bed, trusting me as Savior, putting your faith in me, turning from your sin. Better to be there than to be healed and go to hell holding on to your sin. Better to have all the physical problems in this world with the health, with the poverty that, they come, that comes with them and know Christ than to have all of this world and lose your own soul. And the Lord here in, in Matthew 18, the language is so graphic. He, he, he said if, he says better to go into eternal life with, with, with one hand or with one foot than going to hell with two feet. Better to go into eternal life with one eye in life Go to hell with two eyes. There he was saying the spiritual trumps the material every time. You see, so many people, they just think of the material. In fact, that's why people resist Jesus Christ. They think of this life. They think of the pleasure of this life. Think of what they can have in this life. Think nothing of eternity. But this life is nothing. It's just a fading thing. It's just a vapor. And if you were to put things right, For eternity, you must turn from your sin. Sin no more. The destructiveness of sin. Turn from it. Have done with it. Cut it out. Come to Jesus Christ for life. That's the uncompromising demand. But then, thirdly, we have this solemn warning that comes with these serious words. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Worst thing. What could have been worse? Every day, been gathered up by his friends, left down at that pool, lying there, begging, begging, begging. Lying there with all the other people, competing with their voices, hoping that somebody will have pity upon him, give him a few coins, so he can have some food, so he can just get by. That was life. That was life. Waiting for the troubling of that water, knowing that he'd never get there anyway. What could be worse? He said, if you don't turn from your sin, something that's worse than that will happen to you. Think about the terrible things that could happen in this life. Grief, sorrow, loss of a dear loved one. Kind of grief we hope we'll never have to face. The Lord is saying here that Something worse than that will come in the center at the last. Poverty, loss of everything, earnings, business, home. Without Christ, something worse than that will happen. Sickness, 
going to the doctor and getting this dreadful news. You cannot be made better. Death is coming. Without Christ, something worse than that's going to happen. Think of what those people are facing out there in Turkey and Syria. The collapse of the buildings, the noise of all of that, the dust, the desperation, the searching for loved ones, people trapped in there, the cries. That's just a snapshot of all of the dreadful sufferings of this world any one time. The disasters, the catastrophes, the pain, the sufferings of this broken world. Some people in their foolishness, they talk about hell on earth. People that do not believe there is a place called hell, who will mock at you for the very mention of hell, they'll suddenly talk about hell on earth. When the soldiers came back from the Western Front after World War I, those that survived, it was often said that they were very hard to reach with the gospel. Churches struggled to bring them God's word because those men would say, don't talk to us about hell, we've been there. And when you think of the anguish of the Western Front, what those men faced, you can almost feel a certain sympathy, and yet they were wrong. You can take all of the sufferings, all of the, the battles, all of the, the torture of this life and of this world, all of the catastrophe, all of the pain. If the sinner doesn't come to Christ, a worse thing's going to happen. Something much, much worse than all of the pain of this world rolled into one. Hell. The darkness of it. The blackness of it. The sorrowing. The crying. Screaming. The gnashing of teeth. The conscience gnawing away. The memories of gospel meetings. Of faithful prayers. Of earnest preaching. Knowing it. You send away your day of grace. That's the worst thing could possibly happen. And that's what does happen to sinners who reject Jesus Christ. That's what does happen to unrepentant sinners. And that is the words of Jesus Christ himself. It was he who talked about the place where the worm dieth not, where the fire is never quenched. Nothing comes near this in terms of enormity. Terms of suffering. The pains of this world, the end. There's a limit. The earthquake stops. The storm ceases to roar. The volcano ceases to erupt. There's a limit. No limit to this. Infinite. Cast into outer darkness forever. To the lake of fire throughout the endless ages of eternity. That's the worst thing that happens. Nothing comes near that. And this serious word from the Savior is a command to turn from your sin. Or as one old preacher said, turn or burn. That's your option tonight. What are you going to do? As I think of this, my mind is taken to the cross. 
the worst thing happened to him. On that cross, Jesus Christ died. And in those three hours of darkness, he bore all of our darkness. He bore all of our hell. He bore all of our suffering. He bore all of our fire. He took the weight of our sin upon himself. The worst thing happened to him. And we cannot begin to understand what it was for him, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. And he did it. That's why there's hope tonight. Because of the Lamb of Calvary. And therefore, my appeal to you tonight is, have done with that sin and come to Jesus Christ. Your soul is too precious. But the remaining time that you have left is too precious to be squandered and to be wasted. Come to the Savior tonight. Don't put it off one moment longer. Let's bow for prayer. And our brother Neville is going to come and lead us with this last hymn. You're here tonight without the Savior. What are you going to do? Oh, come. 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 Turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner. Will you save me? Well, do that, dear friend. Father, speak on to hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. Neville will lead us with this last hymn and pronounce the benediction. Lovely hymn of invitation, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. We're going to sing the first uh, three.